Hey y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys cover Age of Innovation and six five-minute initiatives, including Timeline Twist, Inheritors, Pyramido, Spellbook, Powerline, and capital S-E-N-J-U-T-S-U, and you can pronounce that however you choose. Plus, they discuss the latest board game news. Take it away, guys. Hello and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode 305. This one is titled Satellite. My name is Marty. And I'm Tony. And once again, <laughs> I guess it's not funny. No, it's not. But, it is not. But it is, it is kind of ironic that yet we've lost another singer, mm-hmm. uh, lead singer of Smash Mouth, who couldn't have been that old. No, he, was, he wasn't that old. I, I forget how old he was, but he was not that old. So, yes. It's not like artists from our day are now just, you know, passing away. It's just like anybody at this point. I mean, you have an expiration stamp on you, but you don't know where and when. <laughs> That's right. We all have an expiration date. And I know a lot of us have a best buy date and an expiration date. I've passed, oh, my best buy date was a long time ago. At least you didn't do, uh, oh, it's an all-star? No, uh, uh, yeah, all-star. Yeah, thank you, because... Well, and, I, and uh, I was never I'm a, a believer Smash Mouth fan from Trek. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did not like their version of it either. Mm-mm. So, no, so. I picked Satellite because of it was one of their, it's one of their, you know, one of their famous ones, and it it, t- it took them back into a time when it was this catchy lyrics, ca- catchy chorus, yada yada yada. Let's move on. Oh, didn't Dave Matthews Band do a song called Satellite? Maybe I, I just was looking through all the songs of Smash Mouth. I said Satellite. I, I, that sounds familiar, and I was reading about it. It's like, okay. Well, no, I, I, I just, I didn't realize because when I hear the song "Satellite," I think of the Dave Matthews and not this. So I now I want to hear what the, the Smash Mouth sounds like. That one? No. Yes, 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 yes. I see. Yeah, the lyrics. Yeah. Okay, I don't know that song. Okay. Well, that's fine. I didn't expect you to. The point is, somebody else unfortunately died. <laughs> Okay, moving on. All right, here's the thing. We have got so much stuff to cram into this episode. We have got a lot of games because we just came off Mega Moose Con. And another great event that Mark Kell ran, I think he said uh, there was like an, it was well over 300 people. We yep. had an, uh, I can't remember what the percentage increase, close to 10%, I think what we figured out. Increased over last year. So that it's a great event, y'all. He does a really good job. One thing I love about his event he sells his own concessions, which means you are not going to rip, get ripped off from getting drinks and snacks. They're reasonably priced. You can get them right there. And honestly, little things like that help make a convention for me as opposed to having to go spend three bucks from a vending machine somewhere to get a drink. Yes, I agree. Having that there because it's not like it's very convenient to leave where he holds this and walk up to the QT because you got to pass a busy highway. Right. Or you could stop on your way in. But Marcus thought of that and he's like, you don't need to stop at the QT. You can bring it on with, get your big Q if you want to. But if you come here, you'll, you'll be getting a, you know, a soda reasonably priced. Uh, the temperature was great. Didn't have to. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the facilities were fantastic. He had food trucks out there again, which was really nice. A really good uh, barbecue food truck. Which I want to quickly interject here. Anytime a food truck has a plate named trough, you know, it's a winner. 
Oh yeah, which is what I got. It's what it I got. Barbecue. Yeah, it was barbecue trough, which was barbecue slaw, baked beans. I think that was it. Sauce and uh, yeah. yeah, I think that was it. I but, think that was it. Yeah. yeah, trough. We're gonna call it trough. I mean, let's be. <laughs> who else eats out of a trough? A pig. Uh, there right. you go. <laughs> that's it. And on Friday night, of course, we had to make our uh, annual trip to the front porch. And I got me, uh, they have really good fried squash there. So I got some of that and chicken and dumplings. That's a Friday night special. Really good. You got a yellow plate. A yellow plate. So when I worked uptown, there was a place called uh, the, uh, we called it the Dine and Puke, the DMP. And they had on um, Thursday was yellow plate day because they would take the roasted chicken that was left over, shred it up, and they would put it in for the chicken and dumplings. Mm -hmm. And then they would match up either fried squash, yellow squash, or some other type of vegetable and everything was yellow. So you would order the yellow plate because the chicken and dumplings with the seasonings and everything, everything looked yellow on the plate. So, Got it. So it's okay. called the yellow plate. Nice. Yeah. No, so that was really good. So uh, again, I think he's going to have it again next year. Uh, really, if you're, if you're in the area, it's worth coming to small convention. You're talking three to 400 people. Plenty of room to play open gaming. They have scheduled events, when to play. We did our big auction, which was a big hit again this year. So thank you for all those that came out to that. That was a lot of fun. And for Mark uh, running that. So yeah, good times. But but, but the, I'm saying all this because you and I got to play a lot of games that day because we got a lot of short games to the table between that day and uh, our last gaming night. I was going to say, it didn't feel like a lot of games because one of these games was a three-hour slugfest. Oh, and it was so good. I enjoyed every single minute of it. Yeah. Mm, okay. We'll talk about well, that later. except for the final score. Yeah. <laughs> I, they don't make it. A, uh, we'll talk about it. That'll be our long discussion. The rest of them we're going to put in five minutes. Yeah. So, yeah. Get ready for this. It's going to be, I don't know, how many? One, two, three, four, like seven five-minute initiatives. And we've done this before. We have a whole bunch of them. Let us know what you think about that. It's a way for us to get a lot of games in one episode, but we keep it very concise. So, you know, we're going to got to get to the point pretty quick. And we're just kind of shotgunning you with all these different games. If you like that sort of thing, please let us know, because it's a really good way for us to uh, get in a lot of these shorter games that don't require a lot of discussion. And it keeps Marty from going on and on and on and on about the rules. Exactly. Exactly. But I will stick to my uh, rule of trying not to interject any rules discussion unless it's pertinent to a point that's being made. All right. We got a lot of news to cover. Miniature Market is one of our sponsors, and we've been with them for many years, and we got some stuff to share uh, about them uh, later on, too. Did you see this, Tony, that Cool Stuff, Inc. is getting out of selling board games and will only be selling collectible card games? Yeah, I saw that, and they kept sending me a flyer, an email, whatever you want to call electronic news information right now, and they kept saying, click here to go see which games are for sale. Every time I would click on that link, it would only show me a list of a few games, so I got tired of trying to click on it because everything was out of stock. I did not. And people were saying, well, they're going out of business. They're going out of business. I'm like, why? What, what is the deal here? Why do they need to do that? Board game's not selling for them. Is it no longer a lucrative market for them? What's going on down there? And then I decided, you know what? They've decided a direction. That's good enough for me. I don't need to know any more about it other than I will not be buying from them except collectible card games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's the thing. I've got to think that uh, just the margins, probably maybe on games, just isn't a, that great for them. A lot of games coming out, a lot of inventory you got to maintain. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you can't move that inventory, you're probably going to lose some money over time. 
They've been doing trading card games for quite a long time. That is still a very lucrative market, especially with the you know if you're if you're uh, investing in different types of uh, card games, Magic, Pokemon, Oogioh, Flesh and Blood, etc. So if they're doing secondary markets of that, which they are, they're selling individual cards. That's probably a better deal for them. And I've actually gone down there and seen their store, and I've seen how they handle their secondary market cards in the back, and it is a very elaborate system of how they store cards and you know uh, inventory cards and everything like that. So they've probably got that down to a T. So I think it, it's probably just a better business for them moving into that and getting out of board games. But the, what that means is that's just less one large online retailer than now people are going to be able to use. It seems to be down to really miniature market and gamer nerd. Well, and Amazon right now. Well, Amazon. I'll, no, while I'm thinking about yeah. uh, game only type uh, online stores. Yeah, no, I understand. So, yeah. Well, it was, I bought, I bought a lot of games from them, but so I hate to see them go, but I completely understand. And you're right. I mean, that card market, the magic, uh, soon to be Lorcana, probably all that, you know, continues to be a big thing. So good luck. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Speaking of a miniature market, we did have a meeting with them uh, this past week, and we were talking to them about some some things that we want to do uh, in the future. Keep your ears peeled uh, for an announcement they're going to have uh, coming in November. Uh, if you head over to our Discord channel, you, we might tease you there on what that's going to be. But I'm just saying we're going to be running a special promotion in November with them, so just keep an ear out for that. We talked to them about some of the issues that we've heard from our a Discord channel and our customers, our, our customers, our listeners about some issues with ordering stuff that they order it, and then it shows it's out of stock or having it on hold. Then they say release it, but it's out of stock. Dishes with on hold. They've done a lot of stuff with that, Tony. Did you see now that when you place a product on hold and you go to release it, you no longer have to email somebody. You can go to your order page, check a box and hit submit to release the order. So it's all automated now. I, no, I have not truth, but because generally when I order something, I don't put it on hold because I want it. I'm not, I don't need to do that. I'm just going, I, I want this game now. Send it to me now. Well, if it's not in stock, you can't. Well, if it's a pre-order, I understand. But when a pre-order is filled, I expect it to be shipped to me. So you're right. You could, you know, I understand. Well, or if you go in with your buddies, you could do it that way. I just, I don't have time to wait for y'all. I'm, here, send me my game. But that is a very good thing that they've added. It will streamline everything as well as some, you know, they're, they're updating their systems, making sure that it's a lot more streamlined. So, and keep in mind, you know, I envision all these people over at Miniature Market. I mean, hundreds of people dealing with this. That is not the case. People need to understand this is is not a huge Amazon organization. It is a Mm. small organization. They're doing the best they can, so be patient with them. And hopefully you will see better customer service moving forward. Yes. And they've also been working on their backend inventory and warehouse system, which is mm-hmm. supposed to be getting better and better. So we, I felt really good talking to the person in miniature market that we had the, uh, the zoom meeting or teams meeting mm-hmm. call with, and I feel like they're really moving in a, in a good direction. So we just wanted to share that information with y'all to know that they have heard the concerns. They're working on the back end, trying to make those better. And hopefully you're seeing little bits of improvement here and there. But uh, make sure to pay attention to a special announcement they're going to be having towards the end of the month. More big news. Now, I know you don't have Netflix, Tony, but there's a big movie coming out from Zack Snyder called Rebel Moon, which is like this whole new sci-fi world that he's built. And it's going to be a couple movies that's released on Netflix. The trailers look really, really good. Well, they've made the news recently because RPG publisher Evil Genius was working with them 
in order to release a tabletop product based on that world setting of Rebel Moon. Mm -hmm. They had come up with some ideas and characters and stuff, and Evil Genius is suing them because Netflix broke off the business relationship with them. And now Evil Genius is saying, wait a minute, in your movies and stuff, you're using some stories and characters and some plots that we created and you've incorporated in your movie and we need to get fairly compensated for it. Netflix on the other side has said, well, you broke your confidentiality agreement because at Gamma, you showed off some assets that you weren't supposed to show from the movie and that's why they cut off this relationship. So it's a he said, she said thing. So I just thought it was really interesting that here's this small tabletop RPG publisher that I've, that I've heard of that had this thing going on with Netflix. And I'm getting all this information from actually the Hollywood Reporter, <laughs> you know, a major online site that's actually thought, okay, this is a pretty big deal that uh, Zack Schneider's production company is being sued by this uh, other company. So uh, I'll we will link information to this article in the show notes so if people want to uh, read about it really we're going to really do that we're going to link show notes about this you mean you're going to make me want to go back and remember to post this up there that basically netflix is trying to screw over evil genius by saying hey take 50k from us and go away little guy oh yeah so if you read into the article (laughs) i guess when this came up netflix look if we give you 50k will you just go away <laughs> i mean you, you, we created this world bible for this movie Oh, you actually read the article i'm impressed thank you yeah i see surprise you every day don't i but yeah so what was it? evil genius created what they call in the, in the story a world bible which mm-hmm. is i guess kind of a, a basis of everything that's in this world Right. And, it, and they're like, okay, fine. You, first off, wouldn't tell us any characters, any plot, any names of planets. You wouldn't tell us anything. And yet you wanted us to do this. So basically we did our work and we, for our own system. And like you said, they're, they're using it for the, the movie. And hey, that was a great idea, guys. Here's 50K. Now we're big boy. Go, go away. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this follows. And if anybody does follow it, I mean, we'll have to remember this in three to 10 years when the courts finally get to it. Or right. Right, what they settle out. But yeah, no, I did go read this, believe it or not, because I was thinking Evil Genius Games. I'm very familiar with that. So I was like, okay, cannot believe that. Evil Genius released a a press on this, but I was wanting to find something that was less biased. Mm-hmm. And even from this Hollywood article, it does seem like Netflix uh, has done Evil Genius wrong mm-hmm. uh, in this. And that uh, supposedly they got permission to show these assets at Gamma. And it's like, oh, no, you didn't. It seems like it was a convenient way to try to break it off. Oh, yeah. And then, for the and, th- and then use this. It's like, oh, great. Well, since you had this world bobble, this it was a 228-page document mm-hmm. detailing, like you said, names and stories and characters and planets and stuff. And then those are now incorporated into the movie. If they should take a lesson from you. I can't get out of this podcast. You got me ironclad, big boy. And they, everybody else has got outs. I did not do a good job writing in and out. But that's <laughs> all right, fine. Now, here, here's a little something. Now, uh-huh. I am sitting here enjoying um, one of my last Mountain Dew Zero Sugar Voodoos from 2023. We, we did a taste buds on this, and Donna tasted it. And she goes, you know, that, that tastes like a... It tastes like a cherry flavor. And you even mentioned, uh, you know, a code red, which has a strong cherry flavor to it. 
And I was like, oh, you're absolutely right. Code red, cherry. Yeah, I'm getting that feeling too. Very good. I'm enjoying them. I'm like, well, I can't wait to see what it is. Lo and behold, out of nowhere, Mountain Dew says it's cherry, right? It's a cherry airheads. Cherry airheads. Yeah. I think this is one of the first times they have worked directly with a candy manufacturer. Usually it's some a generic candy thing. This is the first time it's like a real product like Airheads. So we were all right. We finally got one. We didn't say Cherry Airheads, but at least we got the main flavor of the drink. I don't know if I got the main flavor, but when as soon as you said Code Red, I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's, that's So while the mystery is solved and so much for releasing it early, it's kind of like going into, um, where was that the other day? Oh, Walmart. And I was looking for herbicide because it's time to do a little plugs, get a little mm-hmm. aeration in. And I'm like, okay, I need to get some, you know, crabgrass killer here to get a certain area done. And I'm like, well, crap, where is it? Cause there's nothing but Christmas. I'm like, oh, this is, oh, this is so sad. So like Walmart getting the Christmas out well before Halloween. Hey, they, they released out the flavor of voodoo well before Halloween. How dare uh, speaking of which, it is time to aerate and seed everybody. Mm-hmm. It's that time of the season. I will be aerating on Tuesday. Uh, I think that my guy's coming either Monday or Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So I've scalped the yard, marked all the sprinkler heads, and we are good to go. Yeah, I am too. And then got to keep that air. Oh, it's going to kill me with the water bill. But it's all- not if you're money. on a well. I'm not on a well or a lake. <laughs> I'm on city water. If you have a yard, it is that time of year. So uh, make sure to aerate and seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should have already done your line before now. but I, I haven't done anything. Got too many other things going on. What can I say? Now, I saw in our email that uh, something about this game, I don't know if they've heard us talk about some type of undaunted news. What's going on here? So Osprey Games uh, sent us a press notice, and uh, it's under embargo until after this episode releases. So we can go ahead and talk about it now. We are big fans of the Undaunted series from Trevor Benjamin, David Thompson, right? Which is basically a deck-building World War II fighting game Mm -hmm. they've announced they're going to come out with a new undaunted game but no longer is it based on world war ii but this whole new sci-fi universe called callisto Mm. and it the the art on the box looks absolutely amazing so it's going to be incorporating the same systems and everything like that but instead of historically based it's going to be a sci-fi theme driven a uh, head-to-head game or team-driven game using the exact same mechanics as before. Probably, I mean, they'll probably incorporate some new stuff into it, but a brand new sci-fi theme. I thought that was really cool because if people aren't into the World War II themed, but were Ill- kind of interested in this system, now they have a way to play in this system if they would be more interested in something like sci-fi or something like that. Okay. I was wondering what that was about. I didn't get a chance to click over there and, and read about it. So take the Undaunted system and play, put it in this space area so they can come up with their own characters and hopefully mm-hmm. Netflix won't steal it and then they have to get sued. <laughs> New from Netflix, <laughs> Callisto. What? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that is very exciting. I, of course, I'm excited for the sci-fi, but now it got me wishing it's like, ooh, I would love to see a fantasy-based game. No, sci-fi. I'm done. Well, I've, I've, I've got enough dwarfs and elves. and oh. Yeah, that's what I want. Sci-fi, but I mean, fantasy. Okay. Yeah, so be looking for this. It's going to be coming in 2024. The official name is Undaunted 2200 Callisto. 
And again, the the art by Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald. Wow, is Grimace in this? <laughs> Hamburglar? Sorry, Roland. Roland McDonald, who does the art for the uh, regular Doctor Games. The, the cover on this. Wait till you see the cover. It just pops. It is so good. So we talked about my trip recently on, I think it was the last podcast. And I was mm-hmm. asked, why can't, why can't you bring more games? And I'm like, well, there is a luggage limit and these things are not light. But what I did take, and I'm, I meant to talk about it, was Azul Mini. We all, Azul, one of our favorites. And I love, love the it. series. Yeah, love, love the series. Matter of fact, back here, I have Azul, um, Queen's Garden, still one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. But what's cool about the Azul Mini Plays 4 is that the player boards actually have what they should have done in the original, not that I hold grief, I did buy the mosaic so that you can, is places for the tiles to sit. So they don't yes. slide in everywhere. So, you know, if, you, if you're riding in the RV and you're in the back where you're not supposed to be, but that's okay, and you're playing Azul and you go over a speed bump, tiles don't go flying everywhere, or you're on a boat and that boat is just in some rough seas, hey, they're going to stay put. That is probably one of the nicest things about this. And for keeping your track uh, or your score, you have a slider that does your scoring. It is smaller. And I will say that the plastic for the tiles could have been a little bit clearer to be able to read the board, but you Uh can remove the board if you don't want to use that. So you can see where the uh, tiles go and it has both sides of the board, you know, where you had the standard side and then the one that didn't have any set patterns to it. Yes. So all, all that's there. Small little box, easy to get in your suitcase, easy to get in your carry-on. If you are a fan of Azul and you have not picked this up, and I know vacation time is over for the summer, but you will be traveling for the holidays. You will be visiting family, I hope, and you can take that with him because you don't want to always sit there and play the same five crowns like I end up with. This is a great addition to your gaming library, even if you have the original. How big are the tiles? Uh, probably just a tiny bit smaller. Okay. Okay. So where's the reduction then? Is it in the player boards? Player boards. The player boards. Yes. So the player boards are smaller. So the tiles are a little bit smaller. I mean, it's not that it's, you didn't lose anything. If you think about the tiles in Azul, you're not going to lose anything with the graphics. Sure. Sure. It's mainly just, was it color? I guess. Color. Yeah. So the color's there and, oh, and they will, the little, uh, trays where you would put the tiles on during the selection phase. Yeah, those are very thin. So all your cardboard is very thin. So you can easily mm. bend this. Just keep that in mind as you're playing the game. But be sure to check it out if you haven't already. Azul Mini, pick it up. It's readily available over there at Minture Market. Yeah, I was actually wanting to see how much. It's got to be a little bit cheaper too, I would think. I would hope Oh, yeah. So. Uh, $15.99. Picking up a Azul, $15.99. Come on. Yeah. That's uh, regular Azul's thirty one ninety nine. That's okay. I'm gonna have to pick up a copy. That's good. That's good. If you enjoy playing Azul, yeah, yep. Azul has gone. You know, you, nobody talks about it anymore. It was the right. it was the big hit back then. You've had the multiple versions. But it's always fun to go back. And I don't know if you've picked up on this. I've gotten a new segment on our show called the replay. And when I do the typing the notes, whenever we talk about games we've played in the past, I've mm. I've started titling that replay the replay segment or whatever i've called it so that people know we're getting ready to talk about or rehash games i should call it maybe i should name it rehash uh, seeing as how i don't even catch this i'm sure nobody else did oh i'm sure no one else. no one reads that they just look at the times is what they're doing times oh here's the here's the next i one. even wonder if anybody even listens to this i don't think is this can. on is this, this on? on? Mm-hmm. Is this on? Okay. All right. Uh well since you're talking about that talking about Azul, Game Genic 
I'm just falling in love with this company. I, I cannot believe the number of products they almost, it seems like every week they have something new coming out. They just came out with a version of their magnetic dice trays, which, which is very common. So I wanted to try some of these out. So they sent some for me to check out. And I asked for the octagon shaped mm -hmm. version and uh, just the regular square to compare to others. I will say that this this is what you expect it to be. You pinch the ends, the, the corners are magnetic. You pinch them and it creates the shape. I was totally surprised how big the hex dice tray is. I was expecting something small, but it is a decent size hex tray once you put it together. Um, it's a little bit it's a little bit thinner than maybe some other dice trays that I've seen, but it's extremely lightweight, goes together well. And again, I was just surprised by the size of it. So if you have like an RPG group and you want to pass dice trays around stuff, so this is a really good one because it's so lightweight, folds flat. But then the square one is also a good size too. Same idea. You pinch the corners, magnetic, you create a tray. It's double-sided. So one side's black and the other side's whatever oh. color you want. Like I got purple. So you could either do the purple side or the black side. So it's kind of a double-sided color thing, which is really kind of cool too. Okay. Can, can you get Chuck Norris on it? Chuck Norris? Yeah, the octagon. Oh, I see what you did there. 1980 yeah. American, you know, uh, action martial arts film. I, that'd be have Chuck Norris's face in the middle of the octagon. Well, there you go. You know, Strike is actually uh, gladiators in the arena. So now you could have fighters in the octagon. Ooh, there you oh, go. Oh, that's not bad. That's not get bad. Some of these, use some of these dice trays for actually playing Strike. I did get one. I don't know if Game Genic did the Catan version of that, but I had an octagon, and I do like that. I like that better than the square. The octagon, okay. Then, uh, but it, it's big. It's it's a big boy. So, yeah, but you said it was what, thinner. I don't. I don't. It is thinner. Yeah. Because yeah. some of these square ones, I mean, you know, they're they're rectangle, and you know, you put them in your bag. It's it's okay. All right, I can I can deal with octagon. They actually do have a rectangle one also. Mm, so okay. square, rectangle, and uh, octagon. Also, they have these new card holders that I wanted to check out. They slide. It's two pieces of plastic that you can slide, uh, almost like a sliding glass door. Mm -hmm. And you slip your card, whether it be a, a sports card, a collectible card, et cetera, in between, and then just slide the plastic back together. So it's a heavy-duty protective case for cards. You get a box of like 12 of these which is really, really cool. And I was trying, I was thinking of really cool ways to use it. Obviously, you, if you have expensive ball cards like we do, <laughs> you know, remember, do you remember the, the cases we used to get that mm -hmm. were the screw down yeah. uh, where you put it and have to screw it down? These are UV blocking, so mm -hmm. they won't, and nothing will turn yellow. They're easy to slide open and get out, but they're extremely durable. They won't accidentally open because I was kind of shaking around trying to open it up. What they're doing is they're incorporating this product into some of their other products at Essen. They're going to be showing off their new deck boxes for star Wars unlimited, mm -hmm. uh, where they're going to have basically a deck box for obviously cards and tokens. But the front of the box is where you can like display who your leader is going to be. Well, they've purposely designed that part of the display to be the exact same width as these sliding card holders. So the concept is you put your leader in one of these plastic protectors that plastic protector goes in a pocket on front of the deck box. Mm, okay. I really love how they use these same products all over the place. They just reintroduce uh, these really cheap, like token trays, like five, $6 token trays. They're, they're kind of thin, like mm -hmm. uh, the, the cheaper deck boxes. Well, now they have token tray towers 
or storage units so you can store all these token trays together. It's just like they come up with this idea and it's like, well, let's use this and make another product out of it sort mm-hmm. of deal. So, and, and this is exciting. To, I hope to get some of these in the future. In November, they're releasing special deck boxes for Arkham Horror, all with the different colors of the different uh, types of uh, characters, archetypes in Arkham Horror. There's little windows on the front so you can see who your character is and and stuff like that. So Game Genix just just tearing it up, man. It's just really good. Oh, and today it's oh, funny this popped up. No, hold on. Uh Talarian Community College, a guy who does a lot of magic stuff. He's been on YouTube forever reviewing magic products and stuff. One of his videos popped up that was comparing deck boxes. And he compared uh Ultra Pro's deck box and BCW ultimate guard just basic deck boxes to hold like a hundred cards and he was grading them the one he gave the only a plus to was game genics new box called the bastion oh i know that one he said it was just absolutely incredible how the the top lid fits together it's almost like a hinge where you kind of slide in the corner and then fold it onto itself he said it's easy to take apart and he stood there and shook it for like 30 seconds, trying to get it to open a cards flout and everywhere. He couldn't do it. So it was his highest recommended deck box. And they're only like eleven ninety nine. Mm. This company is just kind of really coming into its own and getting recognized all over the place. It's funny how, you know, they, you find the accessories that you need and, and it's not like they haven't been around. I mean, these type of products are around. Mm-hmm. It's just, how do you make a better mousetrap? And they're doing it. I always like the magnetic closures versus you know, snaps or anything like that that could hang up your cards or whatever. So these magnetic closures, you you can hear them. They're not going to go anywhere. So I really like that concept. And, and they have those. Yeah. And in fact, the Star Wars Unlimited deck boxes they're going to be showing off is the magnetic closure where it has a lid that you peel off mm-hmm. and then you can fold it back onto itself and have uh, the kind of sit in the in the deck and box. If you get, so. And if you get the bigger ones, some of their lids become dice trays. The engineering and product managers over there, just, just top notch. All right, so one thing we're going to quickly go over. You missed it. But no, I on f- no, I did not miss no, this. I I- well, hold on. On Friday night mm. at uh, Mega MooseCon, we played Great Western Trail, New Zealand. Did you like Great Western Trail? I loved Great West. West I can't speak. Great Western Trail. I loved it. I enjoyed that game. So you, you're up, but you're not upset that you missed this. And after when I got there and you told me about it, no, I am not because they would taint <laughs> my feelings about GWT. Okay. So Great Western Trail is basically a deck building game. Move a worker along a map. You use your deck to try to build out. It was cattle. Get to the end, try to sell your cattle, make the most victory points. New Zealand's pretty much the exact same thing, except instead of cattle, you're doing sheep. Some of the workers are a little bit different, but what they've they've added in this shipping element to it, which is kind of like the train expansion to Great Western Trail, an additional board where you could send out and uh, sell your cattle. Here is an additional board where you could have your ships go out to different places and it give you an additional spot to be able to sell your, your sheep there. So I thought, okay, cool. So it's kind of taking this and incorporating it into the main game plus it added some uh some other like bonus tiles that you could get in order to like call some of your deck some of the sideboard about how you draft different workers as they come into play that was just a tad different but it really felt like great western trail with a few added elements i thought great can't wait to play it so we had a gentleman sit down and teach us which i was very grateful of because we was getting ready to read through the rule book he said hey i know the game want me to teach you 
Yes. Did a great job of teaching it because everybody had already played it once. Our great, great was trail in the past. So it didn't take that much to get up and running. So we started playing. This gentleman absolutely destroyed us, mm-hmm. annihilated us, had a perfect plan of building out a deck of getting uh, the the figures that you use to go. They, I think there were like herders in Great Western Trail. Here there are shepherds. More shepherds you have, the higher price sheep that you can get. You want the high price sheep in your deck. He used his bonus tiles to call his deck. So when he got to the end of the trail, basically he had all these high price sheep, made a lot of uh, points, played the game super well. However, not once did he move his ship. This new thing that was added to this game He never, ever took the shipping action. Even though I just played it once, it really tainted my view of the game because to me, if you come out with a game and there's one part of the game you can totally just ignore and still do really well, it just just bothered me a little bit. It seems like it would be required as a part of the game to do this new thing Mm -hmm. in order to at least to do well. But he proved to us you don't have to at all. Now, I'm sure there's a way to possibly only do the shipping and maybe do really well, too. I'm not saying that there's not other ways to score a lot of points. I was just really stunned. It's like, wow, basically, he played the basic Great Western Trail very well and destroyed us all. Okay. I mean, sometimes that happens. I mean, you'll get into a game that, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going. And we'll talk about this in another game. But you get into that where you just discover, hey, this is a viable option and no, I really don't need anything else. You guys need to stop me. And if you couldn't stop him, then that's a problem. You know, it was there a way that's for some more play testing, some more plays. And I hate that it soured you because yes, the New Zealand aspect, the sheep, all that sounded interesting. What new things could they have added to challenge you in this game that I really enjoy of Great Western Trail? GWT, I'm done. But it sounds like this is not something I need to do because I do not want to sour my original one. And here's the thing is, if you hadn't have done this, I would have gone, man, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until I was like, oh, well, you could play it that way. Now, we had another guy play with us, Eric, who's on our Discord channel. And Eric, thanks for sitting down and uh, playing with us. He did really well, too. He came in second. He did do a lot of the shipping. He took advantage of those new scoring opportunities and stuff like that. I... As a person who's played Great Western Trail realized, oh, this is at its core a deck building game and I'm not doing any deck building whatsoever. <laughs> I didn't go out and buy the expensive sheep, which generated all the extra points. I just I just played that one really poorly. Uh, but those two guys uh, did, did um, uh, really well. Again, so I'm curious, you know, if you guys have played New Zealand, what's been your experience? Did you feel like it was just Great Western Trail with the expansion added on? And uh, did the little new things added, you know, make it necessary? Well, you know, would it replace Great Western Trail for me? I guess it could, knowing I could just play play the regular Great Western Trail without the extra stuff. But if you want to do the extra stuff, you can. I'm going to point out something. You made a statement just then. It says, hey, I want to know if you've played uh, this game, New Zealand, GWT New Zealand. Let us know what you think. So first of all, as par for the course, I don't think you need to ask that because in our Discord channel, mm-hmm. we're, you're not going to hear those discussions. You're going to hear about what we talked about, like Skechers slip-ons. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. I absolutely love that in our Discord channel. You know, so what did they mention last time? Oh, here comes a long discussion about Skechers slip-on old men's shoes or old person's shoes because, you know, you don't have to lace them up. So 
Are you going to hear anything about this? No, no, no. So, so I'm looking at our last episode. We talked about the White Castle, which we loved. Match of the Century, which is a popular follow up to Watergate. Tony finally had a social deduction game inside job that he loved. Not one word. Instead, people are sharing pictures of Skechers and what kind they have. <laughs> Gosh, why do we even do this? <laughs> Oh man. So, so I do expect our lawn channel over there. I expect some people to be posting some of their plug pictures. You know, when you pull the plugs in the aeration, please do that. Please share your plug pictures. Make sure to head over to our discord channel. You can find those links over on our page, rolldicetechnames.com. And, uh, so we got some more games to talk about. Let's go. Tony, I am so excited. I finally got the Holmes Game Topper from Game Toppers LLC. Get out of here. I sure did. It's the 36 by 72 play area game topper. Oh my gosh, that thing is such a breeze to put together. So I took it out of the box, has the nice case, took out both sides, put it on the table, had the little connection points that you, you screw down to keep the hold the table together, got a play map, put it on top. I got four drink holders. And that thing is as sturdy as it could be. So I was doing the test, Tony. I was going, okay, will this thing slide? I actually had to stop pushing it because either I was going to flip the table over mm-hmm. or break the legs on it because that thing ain't moving because it's meant to make sure that it doesn't accidentally shift or anything like that. And what I did, y'all, is I turned like a $50 fold-up nasty white table into an actual game table with this thing. I just can't believe how nice this thing is and how well it fits together. I got the one with the black powder coat top, which I actually like. He makes the nice wood grain ones. For some reason, I just like that mm-hmm. black uh, matte look, which is uh, super nice. Those rails for setting up those uh, drink holders are really nice because you can slide them and easily take them out. I am super impressed with it. And I'm excited, Tony, because that means when y'all come over for barbecue, I'll have another gaming table for people to play at. Which map did you get with it? He actually sent me two. He sent me the desert map. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the name of it is. It looks like the desert, but I also asked for just the regular blue one. Mm-hmm. So now I've got the gray one, the red one, and the blue one. Yeah, just the other day when our friends were over and we were playing the game, I just rolled the mat out on the table because the mat has saved me because I have a teak table outside. And I don't want to you know, set up the game table outside um, on the porch where it could get you know damage from the weather and things like that. But the mat, I'll just throw over my teak table and mm-hmm. it keeps people from staining my teak table with their drinks, their sweaty drinks and things like that. And then someone, luckily, you know, I had the game mat, which I had completely done the spray with to, to scotch guard it. I scotch guard that mat down. They, they spilled their drink a little bit, wiped it right up without any issue. So Kevin Berkey took care of me when he says, you know, just scotch guard that bad boy. I did. Didn't fade the color or anything. It was very resistant to that. Love it. Love those mats. Which reminds me, I probably need to go buy some Scotch Guard so I can do mine before it gets used. So to find out more and to keep an eye out for his upcoming brand new Kickstarter, head over to GameToppersLLC.com. One of my favorite Euro games of all time. Terra Mystica. I've loved that game ever since I got it to the table. 
that came out with uh, some expansions. They came out with a follow-up, uh, Gaia Project, which is kind of like Terra Mystica in space. And recently, game designer Elga Ostertag has come back out with another version of an eight Terra Mystica style of game called Age of Innovation. And this is brought to us by Capstone Games. And I could not wait to get this game to the table, which I did, and made Tony sit there for three hours and play at Mega Moose Con. What about Terra Nova? Terra Nova uh, is basically a shorter version of the game that we've also covered in the past, but it's not by the same designers. It's not by the same designers. But they took, it was, you can see it's obviously inspired by Terra Mystica. Okay. I was kind of confused by that. So yes. And you know, it's not fair. To, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be mean. I mean, yeah, you made me sit there, but 30 minutes of it was rule explanation. Oh my gosh. Just come on now. You know me. It's, it, <sighs> I, I know. I know. There's a lot to this game. Luckily, we had all played Terra Mystica before. Or I think it would have been longer. <laughs> Everybody remembered, okay, here's how the power pools work with the little purple pills and everything like that. So all that had to come back to us. Yeah, but I, I keep thinking that, I mean, on your turn, you're going you're going to do an action that you can pay for by, you know, possibly moving something off your board and putting it onto the other board. And then you're going to maybe, oh, I don't know, use some of your power pills as long as you sit there. But I think what's so daunting about this is all the little rules knowing what all the little actions do, that's what you got to get through. Because you're absolutely right. The first teach of Terra Mystica, Gaia Project, or this game, Age of Innovation, is going to kill people. It is absolutely, or people like me, that's going to sit there, let's just play and work our way through it. And you're not going to, and I say this truthfully, you're going to miss the brilliance of the strategy of this game. And I will say, at the end of this, I was so pissed. It was unbelievable real how mad i was well no we'll get to, we'll get to why you, why you were pissed but I, I do appreciate in the teach of this game is so you only have one action per turn so it's just really teaching what each of those actions are i'm sure you've seen the terra mystica board before y'all it has all these different types of terrains and each of you the factions are going to have a home terrain and being able to build on that terrain they need to terraform and which is spending some resources to get to that type of terrain rent so they can pop some buildings on there. When they pop buildings on there, depending on the type of building, will generate income, whether it be additional workers or money or scholars, etc. But Tony, what I loved about this game that was introduced at the very beginning is right before the game starts is a draft. You're going to draft the board that you use, which is basically your home terrain type. You're going to draft a faction that inset that sets up that board that gives you special abilities. And that right there is what makes this so sweet to me because it seems like in the regular Terra Mystica games, it was like people found their favorite. I want to just play that faction or I want to just play that Mm -hmm. faction here. This is randomly set up and you pick a set of the board and faction that you'll be playing together uh, during the game. Yeah, I I agree. I like this change. That's probably the, one of the biggest changes that to me is a benefit and how balanced the things are. That'll be left up to the BGG forums as to is one more powerful than the other. I do not have the foggiest idea if they are, I'm sure there's way to mitigate some of this, but I do agree with you. I like that. But not only that, uh, if you remember from the base game, like you can upgrade to palaces, which was a fixed thing. Hey, when I build this big old chunk of block on the board, It gives me a bonus during the game. In this game, 
Those palace tokens are also draftable. So the first person to build a palace will get to draft one of the available tokens, put it on the board, and they get that. And that's where our buddy Nate found the exact token for his palace that he wanted to where he just annihilated us because he was able to basically every time one of the other actions is take a power action where you spend power in order to do a particular action like get spades for terraforming, get some money, etc. And every time he did that, he got two points. So his palace action was a really easy way for him to generate the power that he could use to spend to take the power actions to generate victory points, and the boy just blew us away. Well, it was his his special class. I mean, his class said it didn't cost him as much. What, yeah, I'm sorry. Once he determined that, then he realized, oh, then this palace upgrade is exactly what I need because these two will pair together. So he shot up the uh, upgrade path in order to get his palace out there first so he could grab Right, and, and I will say, him recognizing the strategy of his game, like we talked about recently, is just one of those things that you do. Right, but what that didn't exist in Terra Mystica, no. which I liked, because all that was fixed. Mm-hmm. So it allowed he allowed him to set up a strategy based on what he drafted at the beginning of the game. So that is one of the main differences that I really, really like. Honestly, the rest of it is extremely similar. And the Terra Mystica, you had the priest board. Over here, you got the similar type of board. You can send a scholar out there to move a token up the board, which will give you some points, give you some power. One of the new things are the innovations, which is a yet another board because a new resource in this game are books. You can get books, different color books. Those books can be turned in for innovations, which are most of them are like one-time abilities of getting like an additional building on the board or maybe uh, scoring some points based on what your board is at the time. So the books are a whole new thing. And on the board itself, the main board, there are book actions where you can spend books to take a particular action. So that's one of the other things you could do in your turn now, which is different. So for me, the biggest change is, and I'll admit I'm not a Terra Mystica aficionado, was always once I put these buildings out there, you know, like you just said, the palace, you got a special thing that came out there was on the uh, original, but, but the universities, I believe, is it the universities you went um, from, from, I call them the church and the university. I know that's not the appropriate name, but when you were to place those out on the board, you got to go over to this innovation board and gain a token that may give you a one-time benefit or give you an action you're able to take. Mm -hmm. I don't, I didn't remember that from the original. You didn't have that, right? Correct. Yeah. That whole sideboard was brand new. Okay. Uh, so basically, uh, yeah. So whenever you built uh, one of those uh, types of buildings, you also allowed you to gain one of those. Maybe it's an action token, like a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. But also, depending on which one you picked up, that was a way to get books. Because mm-hmm. there was uh, tokens for each color of book or move up on that scholar track, which is like the old priest board. And then at the top of these um, were various ways to either score some points right then or maybe get some more actions or give you capabilities. Depends on how the board is seated at the beginning. So you have to look that over in Terra Mystica fashion. For me and my limited gameplay is like there is a ton of stuff that I'm having to manage, which slows down the play a lot of AP going on and not because people are poor players or anything, but because actions are taken that could limit what you thought you might be able to do. And now you have to replan everything. But one thing did remain the same in this game as it did from the original. 
money is king in this game. Oh my gosh. So it's funny that we joked at the beginning of the game. It's like, y'all remember in every Terra Mystica game, one of the power actions is like take seven money. And that's always the first action taken from the first player every time. It didn't change this game. No, it did not. <laughs> and, and when you pass, and when you pass at the end and you pick up that token that will give you the pass action for the next round or give you something from the next round, that was one of those. With that, one of those tokens was that a pass action gained certain money. So mm-hmm. there it was. But this time, instead of it being a pass action, they said, "Hey, let's put it on the main board," and that's mm. what they did. No, it's always been on the main. It's always been on the main board. I thought it was one of the pass actions. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. That oh. main, that power action on the main board was was there in Terra Mystica, and it's also there here, and it's also one of the first things that we did. Th- those tokens that you that you. Uh, Bonus tokens that uh, when you pass, you pick up a new one. Those are random every game. Mm. So there are some that when you pass, you do get money. Yes. Yeah, okay. But, okay. But that main action on the board, it was always a killer. By the way, uh, you in the Terra Mystica, it was like a, a priest and a church or cathedral that you built. Here, it's instead of a priest, it's a scholar. And you build a school, and that school upgrades to a university. So I, I did pull the name out behind yeah. the end. Okay, yeah. I got so lucky there. there. And when you do either go and build a school or a university, you grab one of those competency tokens off that new board, which is how you can get some additional books and like a one-time little bonus thing. And I remember, and one of the reasons why Terra Mystica always, if you love it, it's not one of my favorites, was that sure. always putting the, after I upgraded, I always put the building back on my board, which then cut my production down in the next round, which, by the way, I needed anyway. That used to drive me insane. It's like, oh, crap, I got to do this. And then I got it was like, OK, it's the ebb and flow of the game, the, the cyclical cycle of the game. And it was just like I'm never making headway. I did find that the power, the ability to change the power pills and move those from uh, bowl to bowl to bowl a lot easier in this. And I don't know if that's just a change they made, but I found that I was able to do that a lot better than I ever could do in Terra Mystica and Gaia project. Mm, okay. Uh, a couple other things that are very, the exact same. Uh, there's a concept of sailing in this. Uh, you can always increase your sailing. So you have greater reach. That's the same thing. Um, also you can make terraforming cheaper. So you lose, use less space. That's the exact same thing. So if you play Terra Mystica, this is going to feel very familiar. Now, how does this compare to Gaia Project? Gaia Project, you had a random board every time. You had a tech tree off to the side where upgrading your like reach and your cost for terraforming was actually done on this tech board as opposed to your main board. So this feels more like Terra Mystica than it does Gaia Project. So I think people, it's going to come down to which do you like more, either Age of Innovation or Gaia Project. Those are the ones that are more dissimilar uh, than, since say, perhaps Terra Mystica and this one. Mm-hmm. And one thing I remember that I brought from Terra Mystica is you don't want to be by yourself. You've got to be near people so that you can reduce the cost of certain buildings. And I carried that forward, and I found that in this game, it was very beneficial for all of us to do that. As same sort of thing, six rounds. Uh, every round there's a bonus like, Hey, if you do something this round, you're going to get something at the end of round, you may score some more points too. I do appreciate the fact that the round bonus tokens, Mm -hmm. uh, some were marked. It's like this one can't happen in the first three rounds. Cause I remember in Terra Mystica, sometimes there would be like the first bonus token was in the first round. Hey, if you build the cathedral or whatever, you get a bonus. Like nobody's going to build the uh, cathedral first round. 
they fixed that in this to make sure that those first round bonus tokens can be achieved and forcing those other harder ones later in the game. That I like too. I did. I like that as well. I thought that was very good. Now, what pissed me off? Yes, here we go. <sighs> probably not more than me, but go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, you didn't piss me off. It was, well, so I, it was just my own gameplay and y'all were paying attention to me. I saw where, first off, it was hilarious. Bert pointed out to me that he, he goes, he looks at me and goes, you do know you're supposed to be getting victory points halfway through the game. And I go, yeah, I know that. I'm just not doing it very well. So we, you start on 20 at the beginning of the game mm-hmm. and halfway through the game, Tony was still on 20. I was still on 20. I, I'll admit I was not playing it well. I, I had a little, yeah, I'm going to use the excuse. I was going for the long game. Well, it worked. Because I felt bad for Tony. Here I was going, crap. I said, Tony is not having fun. It's a three-hour game. It was a long teach. He's not enjoying this. He's not getting any points. Poor guy. Well, you know, I'm probably going to finish probably third, maybe second. Somehow, somehow, we all, y'all, we call it the slingshot, where somebody comes from the in last place and starts passing people. Tony, sitting at the 20 spot, halfway through the game, passes me by the end of the game because the guy looks far enough ahead to go, oh, in-game scoring, biggest contiguous, uh, most number of contiguous buildings is 18 points. I'm doing that. Oh, look, here's a scoring thing over here. If I can do this and claim this, I get a lot of points. And sir, you were brilliant in seeing that for the long game because you flew right by me and I finished last. Yeah, but I couldn't catch Nate. There was no way to do that, but he did take But you took the one that I was going for first, which was good on your side, where I was going to be score uh, X number of points based on the number of bridges you were going to put out. And I was going to point out all three of my bridges. That was 18 points. And then if I had the 11 lands, I was going to get 18 points for that, which would have given me the largest city. So, you know, there's 36 plus another, oh, uh, 18 is going to take me up to 54. And I was just like, okay, that's 54. That takes me to 74 points plus some in-game scoring of where I was on a certain track as well as one more scoring bonus token that I was going to use. And I was like, okay, maybe I can get up into the 90s at least. Nate saw me do that. You knew where I was going and y'all took those from me, but I was still able to score some points. So you may feel like you're out of the game and you are. If you let someone get too far ahead, I think that's one thing. You've got to have some type of structure to score at least some points at the end of every round. Failure to do that, you will not be competitive. So that, that yeah, I got lucky there at the end. I did. I have learned from past games too. You look at the future round scoring bonuses mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, look, in this particular round, building guilds gives you points. So I tried to save up enough to where like, I'm going to build a bunch of guilds during that round. You know, to try to get, but so I do, I've always liked that aspect of the game. So for me, as a huge Terra Mystica fan, would I pull out Terra Mystica or Age of Innovation? This replaces Terra Mystica, honestly, for the concept of the varying factions and uh, randomness of that at the very beginning of the game, because every game is going to feel different. Now, it's not like, oh, I want to play that faction. I know exactly what they do. You honestly don't know what terrain your faction is going to be put with until you draft it the randomness of the palace abilities is really cool too now but between this and gaia project gaia project has the random board set up which would be kind kind of cool and the tech tree is kind of cool the only thing i'm kind of unsure of tony is that innovation board off to the side Mm -hmm. 
I still have to figure out how to best utilize that. It seems like those innovation tokens are best grabbed towards the end of the game. So I feel like I need to collect a lot of books and grab those for end of the game. But I should have grabbed more of those competency tokens because I didn't build enough schools and stuff. Right. Because the competency was the lower ones, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there, but don't forget, you also had it on the board, you had three random things that would occur every game. Like if you were to spend X amount of people or something, because I remember you were slotting things on the board for that, which is different at the, than Terra Mystica, right? You, you put in some tokens there or some actions that you could do on the main board. Oh, oh, so the, the book actions, the book actions are random every game. Yeah, okay, the book actions. At the very bottom, there's like a couple extra slots beside the power actions that are book actions that are random okay. that you could spend books to take different actions on too as one of the new things you can do on your turn. I will say well, on the innovation board where you had those various um, motivation tokens that there's one that you will Innovation be, tokens. Innov- innovation, innovation, motivation. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the, you get those tokens over there. When you take those, there was one that people will, I think, always grab, and that was the one that gave you the ability to move four power. I think that mm. one will be one of the first ones that everybody... Now, the good news is on a four-player game, everybody has an opportunity to go get that. Yeah, they're not limited. They're they're all stacked to the same types, and you can't grab duplicates. And the only change is where they're going to show up on the board. Is it going to be in a place where you'll get additional books or is it going to be where you're going to move up and for the lack of using the Terra Mystica, the priest board, moving the scholar, your, scholar, it's a scholar oh, board in the this scholar board. board. Yeah, they've replaced, they replaced priests with scholars and we're building schools now instead of churches. That's but the so difference. People there. that are familiar yeah. with Terra Mystica, they can relate the two by using that. Exactly. Term. Yeah. So that is some of the key things. And then also how do those innovations, if my like Nate's, it's a big use of power and getting points off of power, then I definitely want to go grab that token. So once again, you look over those. Where is the downside of this is once you went over it, I remembered how to play the game. It was understanding all the things that that were out there, what they did and how they did it and how hard it is to be able to minimize your terraforming efforts and being able to go from getting those buildings on the board and and then having to pull them off and, just basically restarting. Yeah. It is a long game. It is a long teach. I will say, if you're not a fan of Terra Mystica, this isn't going to change your mind. It is very similar. If you are a fan of Terra Mystica, I definitely think it's worth trying just to see how some of these new mechanisms work because you, you may really like it. I don't get to play Terra Mystica enough. I would actually want to play Age of Innovations again. I don't know when it will happen but I just appreciate the guys doing it because I just appreciate the puzzle of this game. I appreciate I get one action per turn. What is the best action I could possibly do on this turn before I have spend all my resources for this round? I suck at this game. I've always sucked at this game. <laughs> but for some reason, I just like the gameplay of it. I, I just always have. It tickles an itch, and I don't know which itch it is, but Ooh. I just like it. I don't want to know which one it is it either. It tickles the itch. That doesn't make any sense. It, it scratches, scratches an itch. itch. <laughs> it, it, well, you know, you can be tickled. Where are you, where are you itching? Tickle, 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 tickle. Well, that's kind of like a scratch. You know, it's, <laughs> well, I just appreciate the fact you had it punched. 
Because I would have pissed me. That that would have sent me. That would have started over the edge right there. I would, oh my gosh! All this cardboard. You want me to punch it now? Oh, so yes. I do think. Oh, and be ready for a long setup. Um, even if you've got yeah. it bagged really well, well labeled, you got some. And I think that's part of the teach. When you're doing setup, make sure people are paying attention to your setup because it will speed up gameplay and getting into the gameplay that soon. Hey, look, I am setting up the innovation board. Oh, look, this token's here. This token's here. This is what these do. Oh, look, let's go over here. We're going to put these book actions in this area. That's nice. Oh, by the way, you need to set up your player board. Here's what those buildings do. When you put that there, this is what's going to happen. Mm. Hey, look up here. Here are the uh, palace... um, ones. I think that really does help. I'm laying out the palace tokens versus, and I know we were pressed for a little time there to get it set up, but you know, that is a great way to teach that. You know, I'll play this with you again. I'm happy to play with this with you. Again. I appreciate that. And, I, and you just mentioned one other thing. There's a lot of like, okay, what do these innovation tokens do? Okay. What do these competency tokens do? Okay. What do these palace tokens do? You know, there's a lot of stuff. Okay. I'm going to go get to pick a competency token I've got to look over like 16 of these and pick which one I want. And let me see the book because I'm not sure what this one does. There's a lot of that. So that's what makes the game long. And I can, again, if you're not a fan, I don't think it's going to change your mind. But if you are a fan, I do think it's worth playing. That is Age of Innovations from Capstone Games, which you can pre-order right now. Shop Portal Games, head over there to be sure to check out Imperial Miners. Marty and I really enjoyed playing that game. You can definitely get it out there. They're out there shipping them. Uh, go to their web store, put it in the cart. But while you're putting Imperial Miners, if you're a big fan like I am of Nirishima Hex, Merchant's Guild released in September. This is the new army for the Nirishima Hex. I've yet to get my copy of that. I need to do that because Nirishima has always been one of my favorites. We talk about the various miniature games, the two-player miniature games. Hey, this doesn't have miniatures, but there is so much strategy in Nirishima Hex on which tiles to be playing, fast gameplay, a lot of good combinations. Love this game. If you've, it's, it's one of those unsung heroes at Portal that I think if you have not tried it, be sure to check it out. So head over to shopportalgames.com for all Ignacy's good stuff. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Probably most people know about the classic game timeline. You're playing against each other in order to establish a timeline, get rid of your cards, etc. There's a new game that's come out called Timeline Twist, which is a co-op game. This game is uh, published by Zygomatic and provided to us by uh, Asmodee. The designers are Frederick Henry and Corey Kaneska. Hey, I know that guy. I know that guy. So here's the deal. Each of you got four cards. You can put them down on the table. Your goal is to try to get them in the timeline as best as possible and be able to get every card out on the table. Now, Tony, I love this in that their actual goal is to try to get things to spe- uh, time as closely together as you can. If you got a, something that happened in 1900, and it's your turn. You want to get something as close to 1900 as possible. Because in this game, you can only have two lines of cards on the table. The main timeline and then a, a gap. So, Tony, if I was to play 1900 and you play a card that's 1905, Bert plays a card and it's 1902. It's going to go in the gap above 1900 to 1905. But if somebody plays an event that's 1904, 
oh crap, we ain't got a place to put it. And that's going to cost us a negative point at the end of the game. So basically every turn, people are trying to get their cards into the timeline as best as possible. But however, Tony, we don't know when these events occurred. We're just guessing. Well, for some of them, some of them, we were pretty spot on, like Bert knowing when spacewalk occur. I knew the years of uh, assassinations and which brings me to the point of this game. And it's kind of like when we talked about this invention game in a previous episode, you play through this once, you're pretty well going to know it. This is almost like a, for us, a two and done where I'll like, I know when this came up, I know when this is, and you're, are you going to better your score at the end of the game by keep playing this? No, you're going to sit there and say, Hey, really? I don't, I don't need to do this again, but it is something that you could do with family who mm-hmm. may not remember this, and it's a good game to get out and challenge them from that. This is a, this is a good filler, you know. Even if you've played it multiple times, it, you can sit there and be quiet and let others talk about it, and you can help them somewhat. You know, you, you mm-hmm. got to you got to take it in uh, stride there. Yeah, and there, if you have a card that you know it's like, well, I can't. This card ain't gonna be able to play it anywhere because that uh, that gap line has been filled between two other cards. You do have the option to discard it. In the discard pile, uh, every card has an icon on it. And if it happens to have the card that you have has the same icon, you can discard that card and draw another one. But what doesn't matter, once the deck is empty or somebody's not able to play a card, basically every card that you haven't played is worth minus one point. Every card in the main timeline is worth two points. And every card in the gap line above it's worth one. So you're trying to get the most positive points possible. I played it like three or four times. And I agree 100%. I started memorizing the dates. Mm-hmm. Hey, when was the first home console video game? 1972. Because I remember because I'd had that. But you're right. There are some events that we happen to know, like especially the ones in the 60s, the more modern mm-hmm. stuff. But when they said, oh, let's say, uh, when was the electric iron made? You know, okay, we kind of had a guess. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those that's tough. It's like, is it late 1800s, early 1900s? And what I like about it, at least you can cooperatively talk about it and then, you know, make a decision. So it's not just you by yourself. So it, it is, does have a heavy co-op element to it. Right. And, and you just can take some of your general knowledge from that and say, okay, that why various ages can be benefit from this. I mean, I've never played timeline. So this was interesting to be my first timeline game. I enjoyed it as I was playing it, but you know, okay, it's a one and done game. I don't need to continue to do this. Got to understand. Again, it's one of those things. It's a small box game I could throw in probably uh, to take to Thanksgiving or something like that. But once you play through it really three or four times, you will start seeing the same cards over. And if you're playing with the same group, you're just going to get your score better over time. So it's probably one of those things you'll probably introduce and play a couple times, but you may not play a lot. So that is Timeline Twist uh, that's currently out now. One of the big card game hits at Gen Con was the limited release of Inheritors from North Star Game Studio with designers Jeffrey CCH and Kenneth YWN. Now, have you ever played Lost Cities? Yeah, I have. I'm very, I have. Don and I have played it a couple of times. So uh, this was said to have a feeling like Lost Cities, right? Where you're discarding cards to draw cards, but sometimes the card, you don't want to discard because you don't want your opponents to have them. That's kind of what the whole gist of this game is yeah you're trying to build sequences and whoever has the best sequences is going to win the game and so from mm-hmm. from this standpoint you're basically you got the same thing you got your own tableau of cards 
of sequences. And based on how the high numbers, whatever you're able to get up to, it's going to score you some points as well as some other things that generate points for you. So at the end of the game, when everything's said and done, whoever has the highest points wins. So yeah, it felt very much like Lost Cities with some very special cards. And I think this is where that game is in Inheritors, these advocates that are played that can come out. Now, without going into a lot of discussion about how to play the cards you know, and being able to collect various, how you collect the cards, the advocates to me is where this game was, Marty. It was the ability to go fish out of your hand to get a card. I like that. Uh, the ability to take specific cards uh, as an advisor coming in, you know, that to me was f the fun part of it. Or if I'm stuck in a series, I can put down a card that allows me to bypass a number and play a higher number. Therefore, mm -hmm. I don't feel like I've got a wasted card. So you've got some really hard decisions to make while you're playing this game and how to use these various advocates. Yeah, so you got five different colors and they're numbered one through six. So your goal is to build an ascending order, all the colors as high as you can, starting with card number one. You have three columns of cards out on the table. You discard a card of a certain color or number. And if there's another column that has that card at the end of it with the same color and number, you get to pick up that entire row of cards. Mm -hmm. That's the tough part of the game in that if I'm looking at you and I go, crap, Tony needs a blue four. I don't really need this blue four, but I need to play this blue four in order to grab this stack of cards, knowing that I'm essentially giving you four points. Because at the end of the game, you're just going to sum up the top card of each of those mm -hmm. piles. And I don't want you to have those high cards. So the, the advocates are really cool, but there's also something else. Because once you get to level three on any of the colors, you can claim one of the clans. Every color has a clan card on the table. When you claim it, it gives you a special ability. You can only claim one clan per game. So that's another little element that has a little uh, extra spice to it in this game. Yeah, special abilities are always fun to have. These blind quests that you can claim after you meet a certain goal, you don't know what they are. You pick them up. If you're lucky, you may get two victory points or you will definitely get one victory point. Yeah, but the thing is about that is, and that's my nick on this game, mm -hmm. You have to discard three of the same color to claim a quest. None of us did that early on because I don't want to give up three of anything at that early in the game to claim one of those blind quests. But it could be from your draw. So draw. If your draw has a certain theme to it that you have, then you may want to. Or maybe you're going to say, I'm going to concentrate on only these two colors. I mean, all this can come into play if you say, I'm going to quickly do that and see what the quest is. And then shoot for that quest. That may be one of your strategies, but I will say this, it's only worth two victory points. However, all of our games have been very tight in the victory point of when we came to the end, but you're absolutely right. The game is in, for me, it was in the advocates. And as you said, how do I place these cards? We talked about this with other games as well. When you, when you have to discard. But one thing I did like was the honors row. So we talked about you can claim a clan, you can claim a quest, but there's also these honors where there's certain achievements you can try to make. Like the first person to have three sets of at least two or higher, claim a card that's worth two points at the end. So I like those kind of in-game achievements maybe you're all working towards to give you extra points because we found out 20 points in this game can win the game. Mm -hmm. It's a low scoring game. So anytime you can grab points, grab them. But you love to use the word tension. The tension for me in this game is what cards do I get rid of 
that will not help anybody that much, but will allow me to get cards off the table. So I, I liked it. And the more I played it, the more I appreciated it. The only thing I wasn't that, that I almost wish the quest thing wasn't there between the clans and the honors. I think that was enough extra for me. Plus the advocates, I didn't really need the quest. I understand why they're there, but I don't know. I just didn't see much value in every game that I played. Well, then, then pull them out, even though it's a game ending portion that you need, because you need the quest and the honors to both be gone to end the game or until the deck runs out. That's true. That's true. So yeah, it wouldn't work because it would screw up the game ending part. And from my standpoint, I wasn't a big fan of Lost City mm. or Lost Cities, whichever it is. So I had it. Uh, played it a couple times with Donna. She wasn't a big fan, so we got rid of it. This one, because of the various special powers and the advocates, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. That is Inheritors from North Star Games. We played a Thailand game called Pyramido. This has my wife all over it. Cause, well, not that she... Okay, let me rephrase that. My wife would love this. I'm very confused. Okay, yes. Donna would absolutely love this game. We are putting some tiles on the table. After each round, we're going to score some points based on the jewels that are shown. But the trick is when you place a tile, it may have two colors to it or it may only have one color to it. You have to put a scoring marker. It's not an option. It has to go down if you haven't already played it. And if you're able to link a bunch of these colors together with a scoring marker, marker at the end of the round... You will then count up how many jewels are on that on those colors. Because what we quickly found out is in the next round, you're going to be covering up <laughs> a bunch of them. That's right, because you're building the second layer of the pyramid. And that's why I totally screwed up, because you're drafting these domino-shaped tiles. And when you put them down, you want to make sure to have those jewel icons on the outside so when you build the next layer of your pyramid they're still visible because if you can get the next level of your pyramid to match the color of the one that's right below it you get to count those points again you got four different color tiles so you're trying to get all four colors together but don't forget like tony said if i play a red tile and i haven't placed my red scoring marker yet i have to place it mm -hmm. when i play that so you want to make sure wherever i place that red scoring marker to have other red tokens around it this as easy as this was to play it was a total brain burner for me because you need some heavy special wow you need some heavy spatial relations to get through this you also need some special relations too i think <laughs> that's true i mean it's three rounds and your top segment is just one tile that's it yeah you're done i mean and when we started playing this one of my favorite lines out of the whole night was well it's a four by five or a five by four and yet we couldn't even get that right <laughs> and there's a special mechanic in this where if you place a tile you have these other tiles these little singular that can change the colors. Yeah. But it's only once per game. Yeah. Yeah. You've only got one of each. Wait, you don't even have one of each color. They're double-sided. That's what I got stuck on. So it's green on one side, red on the other. I used the red earlier in the game and really, really needed that green, but I couldn't because I'd already used that one tile. If you're thinking through this, because after one play and then, okay, got, got it on the table again with Donna, you got, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, this is where I had an advantage on her because I knew... As I was building up, I wanted to start limiting the colors. And the mm -hmm. first row, you have multiple colors. There's no doubt. 
you know that you are going to sacrifice on the later rows if you do it well enough to be able to link them. And that's ah. important. But then what we love about games like this is when you can hate draft. <laughs> but you don't have to actually hate draft. You draft. It's not hate play. drafting, yeah. It's the selection of the next tile. Oh, Marty needs that one. And so, so does Bert. Well, guess what? They are not getting it. I'm going to put that one down. Yeah, so you start out the game when there's four stacks of tiles. In between each stack, there is one tile that could be drafted. So essentially you have four stacks, and that only leaves you three tiles to draft. So when I draft a tile, I have to pull from either the stack that's to above it to the left or to the right. So heck yes, we look around the table and I go, well, I don't want to give Bert that one. I don't want to give Tony that one. So I guess I'll put this one down as available. And that for sure is happening. So even though you feel like this is a solo game, when you're picking the tile to go down on the table, it becomes a heavy player interactive game because you're trying to screw other people up. You, you say you really like it uh, with Donna. I will say you have to really appreciate special relations in order to play this. But I do really enjoy games that are simple to teach and quick to play, but really thinking in its own terms. It plays in about maybe 30 to 45 minutes as two to four players. And the word you're trying to say, I don't even know what I'm saying right, but I say Pyramido. Pyramido. Because the son, Meadow, was trying to outdo his father and his death pyramid his death pyramid. That's the whole theme of the game. That's why he's doing Oh look, the great Pharaoh Minnow has passed and rule passes to his eldest son, Pharaoh Meadow. Interesting. Give it a try if you love these tile lane games. Hot game coming out of Essen from Space Cowboys and Asmodee. Spellbook designed by Phil Walker Harding. Know that guy. If you if you like games like Sushi Go, Imhotep, Baron Park, Gizmos, and I'll just stick right there on Gizmos because, Tony, this kind of has a Gizmos feel to it where at the beginning of the game, everybody's going to be dealt these spells that are cards. There's different color spells, and your goal is to collect tokens in order to activate one of the level spells on your cards and as you activate those level of spells, they give you special abilities, maybe making drafting easier or being able to use less wild tiles in order to fulfill requirements for other spells. And each of the spells that you activate is going to give you points at the end of the game. But I mentioned gizmos is because in gizmos, you're drafting marbles and assigning those marbles to activate abilities. And this is the same thing, except it's acrylic tokens. Yes. Hence, yeah, there ain't no like to it. It is, in my humble opinion. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take away from the game. I mean, I, I don't think Gizmos has hit the table in many, 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 many years here. But I remember mm -hmm. we really enjoyed it. Yep. And so when we put Spellbook on the table, it was kind of like, I've got three actions to do, or three phases. In each of those phases, there's two actions. And I like how that is divided out. Because, you know, even though they're simple actions, you sometimes have some really tough choices. What do I want to do? And I never felt like any of those actions were a waste. So, I mean, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get some uh, little tokens. I may put them on my familiar board. I may create a new spell, things like that. So it was very interesting in the choices and looking around. You wouldn't think you'd be looking around in this game, but you do. You need to be paying attention because the colors and runes on these tiles are limited. So there's a lot going on here that you cannot discount. 
It seems like that a lot of the spells required, okay, the red spell, this level spell requires three runes, three red ones, this one requires four, this one requires five, and each level was a little bit better. But once those got placed on there, a lot of the spells had to do with the token that you used to notate which spell mm -hmm. that you activated because there is a rune on there it's not like every red rune, every red token has the same rune. They all have different types of runes. But like I had one that said, hey, I can use any rune with a circle on it as a wild to make, uh, uh, usually turn in three of the same color as a uh, wild token. Here, it allowed me to do anything with circles or draw extra circles from the board because there's always a board out in front with at least five tiles on it. First thing you do is always just take a tile off there or draw two from the bag. I was trying to make it so I could cherry pick the things that I needed and create these nice little combo systems. The person that did it best was Bert. Bert got these two spells kind of working together where he would use one maybe to draft and then use what he drafted for something else sort of deal in order to generate more tokens, to activate more spells and generate more points. So that's the combo-ish stuff that I like about games like this. Now, the cards or the spells that are picked at the beginning of the game are random. So mm -hmm. strategies are going to be different because when we played this, I mean, I chose, I saw, okay, Mario says the game ends and when you build out your familiar, I raced to the end. I wanted to see what would happen. It, it paid off for me. I'll, I'll give it that. You did win. And I, that was a viable way to win. But we talked about Great Western Trail earlier. I don't think that was necessarily the only way. No, no, I it's not in, the I only way. I came in close but one of the steps that you can do, you talked about these three phases. One of the phases, you can take one of your tokens and put it on your familiar board. Your familiar board is basically the more tokens you get on there, the more points you're going to have off that board at the end of the game. That's essentially what it is. But it gives you another scoring mechanism as opposed from just trying to activate spells. And by the way, only one spell can be activated per card. Mm -hmm. So if you pick the low level spell, you can't try to activate the higher ones above it. Right. I like it. That's what I, That was my whole point. I chose that strategy. If when we play it again, that card may not be out. I won't do it. But if I see that card again, mm -hmm. it was it was a kind of a perfect storm because what Bert was doing was giving me the opportunity to use one of my spells, which gave me the ability to pick the tokens I needed to then on my turn use those to activate one of my spells. So I was benefiting from Bert's spell as well which i think was very interesting that i was that you're able to pick up on it. and you may be able to do the same in later games or depending on what type of spells are being used you may say oh if he goes with this how can i benefit off of that once again you need to be paying attention to what the other people are building so you know that's that's part of the strategy i did have a nit and that was and they, they were giving me a hard time was i found the the spell colors i got confused because the spells, the black and the blue and the artwork that they were doing, I was collecting tokens that I thought were for one specific spell, but it come to find out the artwork was this color, but actually the spell heading was a different color. And, mm. I, and I just didn't pick up on it. That was on me, though. I don't think anybody else would have this issue. This is a Tony issue. So let me ask you this. I think you had this issue, too, the, the, when we played. Did you feel it was too much luck involved with drawing the tokens? You just couldn't get what you needed? Well, there's always that in these games, and it doesn't bother me. I just I kept needing a one red, and I could never get a red drawn. Yeah. And yet I was not seeing red on the board. My luck was I just wasn't picking them, even though I knew they were in the bag. There's 15 of them of, of the red. Right. And for me, I was trying to look for the spells that would 
reduce the luck needed for draft because if I had those spells activated where I was like, well, I don't necessarily need this particular color anymore because if I had this symbol, I can mm-hmm. use it for the same sort of thing. So I was trying to look for the spells that would help uh, reduce luck. So before we close this out, I know it's been a while since you played Gizmos. Do you do you have a preference between this and Gizmos or has it just been too long since you got it, Gizmos? It's been too table? long and I need to get Gizmos to, to make a call on that. I mean, I really enjoyed Gizmos. I thought Gizmos was a lot more, if I remember correctly, very thinky compared to this. Mm-hmm. But the, that's nothing. I, both games can be, you know, like for that. Like I said at the beginning of this, I like the, the non-complexity of these three actions, pick one in these actions. And each time you do that, there is a, not a consequence, but there is an impact. So I like games like that. Simple with good strategic impact. Yeah. So this is one of those I for sure play again. I love the variability of the game. The The acrylic tokens are super nice. The artwork I think is really cool. Uh, if you're like games where you can build some really sweet combos and stuff. And I don't know if it's necessarily an engine builder, but you can make some sweet little combos with it. This is a spell book from Space Cowboys and Asmodee. Next on the list is Powerline from Queen Games. Well, those who know this podcast know that I am a power engineer for a power utility. So this was going to speak to me because when I first saw the board, you got some transmission lines and you got some substations and you are basically trying to build out a power network. It's going on out there to power these substations. And for every transmission line you get, you're going to get victory points. And when you connect up a substation, with all the power lines, you're going to get some victory point tokens and whoever has the most victory points are going to win. Imagine that. But how do you connect those lines, Tony? Well, there's the challenge. You're going to roll six dice that have mm-hmm. the colors of red, yellow, blue, green, white, black, and they're going to be put on a board. And people have workers matching those colors, beginning with red, and then it goes yellow, blue, green, white, black. And you can begin on the left and just pick the red, but then you have to proceed left to right, or you can start on the right picking black and you can go from right to left and you place those on the board matching the die that is shown in on the uh, main central board. The die value. The die value. You put that out there. You put that worker out there. You move to the next one. Can you place it? It doesn't have to be next to that guy. It can be somewhere else as long as it meets the placement rules. This is where the challenge is, is trying to figure out a perfect strategy or use of these guys. Because once you start building out a transmission line, and you can pick either end to start building out on, you must be build each part of the line at that mm-hmm. point. So if it requires a number two die, you better find a two die. Now you ain't got to build out the same transmission line. You can work on different ones. But I also think a, a really interesting thing is too, Tony, is you're limited to the number of times you can use an X number of workers. Mm-hmm. You have six dice, but you only use up to six workers twice only up to five workers a couple times and it keeps going down from there. So you have to decide it's like, Oh, but do I want to use all six now or should I wait and just use five till later in the game? That was the hard decision for me in this game. Yeah. You have to plan accordingly because you only have so many times you can over the 15 rounds, you you've got to strategize that because you're not going to build the whole board out. That, so it's, it's yeah, the, the, I screwed up on that. I started too many lines and I should have focused more on just a few lines and made sure those were filled out by the end of the game. But Marty, as with all dice games, you've got to have a little mitigation. And this is probably one of our nits to this game. There mm-hmm. were two ways to mitigate dice. First off, you have joker tokens. 
that can mm-hmm. go onto the board and it can ignore the dice value. Just place the worker uh, on that spot, ignoring their dice value. Or if the dice of that color is not something you can use, you can send that worker on vacation and go to the next worker for a minus one victory point. For every worker that goes on vacation, it's a minus one victory point. It would have been nice to have a little bit more mitigation, maybe round up, round down, or you know, pay a little victory points to change some things. Kind of like I think of Sagrada with that, with their tools. Yeah, so you get one of those little Joker tokens at the beginning of the game, and every scoring round, which I think is like every three rounds. Every five. Uh, every five, sorry. Every five rounds, you get another Joker token. And then when you use, when you place a single die and use your uh, your two spots with just where you can put out one worker, you get one then. So over the course of the game, you're going to get uh, four, five, like at the most six of them. Mm-hmm. Four, yeah, like six of them to use. But I just found that... I could have used some more mitigation somewhere. And here's the thing that I think bothered me more than anything else about this game. Each board was different, meaning the pip values of the individual lines were all different between four boards. Meaning there were some dice rolls that helped out one player more than others. Like the very first roll of the game, Burt got a lot of his guys out down one line because the dice that came out just happened to be the right order to get one of his major lines done. Of course, as the game went on, probably every role benefited somebody in some way. I almost wish that all the boards were exactly the same because when you start, you may not place the, you'll place the dice probably differently, but if all the boards are the same, you could see who best laid out the dice over the course of the game because everybody's board was the exact same using the exact same dice. Which takes me to the game Knock Mall, dice uh, rolling right game where all the boards are the same and whoever uses the dice combinations the best. So it's almost kind of like, okay, how do you make this game so that you could do that? And that would maybe be, okay, I'm going to draft certain dice. That could be an impact to this, but we're Mm. trying to change what the game is. I understand your point. I I, I don't take that away from you. I, I see what you want to do there. You want to see who was the smarter player versus the victory points. I did like one of the facts is that the various scoring rounds there's a base set, and then there are multiple ones that you could put out. So that gives you some variability from that standpoint. There, are, I think there's an additional nine scoring types that come into play. Future plays of this, I am definitely going to be one that's going to concentrate his line building in certain areas, knowing that I'm not going to fill out that board. You know what's interesting about this? This could have been 100% a roll and write, I think. I agree. Right? Couldn't, couldn't these boards just have been a piece of paper that you just mark? Mm-hmm. As you use the die. So this could have been a roll and write. This could have been a roll and write. And then where you were trying to pull off to show how many workers you used each round, which challenged us because people forgot to do that. Right. Um, yeah, you could have been marking them off. So yes, completely right. agree. This is a complete roll and write. That is Powerline uh, designed by Dirk Hen from Queen Games. I like tactical head-to-head battle games, like little miniatures games. So when Lucky Duck said, hey, guys, we got this new game coming out called Sinjutsu, which is going to be coming out of Essen. It's from designer Paul D. Allen and James Faulkner. Basically, you're, you have these samurais that are going to be put onto the board, uh, hex-based board, and you're going to be fighting each other through clever card play. So I thought, yes, I'm excited about it. So I got the game and I actually took it into work and played with my coworker and played about six games, Tony, before I ever uh, got it to the table with you. And we we played with we played with the basic deck construction. There is some deck construction in this game, but it says you know here are these four 
characters. And here's the decks we recommend for playing those characters. So that's what I use to play the game. And you're just going to set up your models on the board. Each of you are going to select a card, turn it face up, and then you're going to resolve the card from top to bottom. Now, these cards can be different things. They could be attack cards. They could be defense cards. But what I think was cool, Tony, was there's these ideas of stances. So every character has a stance card that can change over the course of the game. And some of the cards will require you to be in a certain stance, like a defense stance or a... Uh, an attack stance, or it will say, Hey, if you're in this stance, you may get a bonus. And the person who goes first, basically with the card is going to be whoever has the higher initiative in the game or the type of a card where meaning, uh, there's a speed on the card. Whoever has the highest speed will get to go first. If it's a tie, it looks at initiative or the card type, but basically you're simultaneously playing cards, which allow you to move your characters, maybe do an attack, doing a fence, you try to deal five damage to the other person. The first person to deal five damage wins the game. And that's kind of it in a nutshell, but at its core, it's a card-driven tactical miniature game. I, hey, okay, I'm good. You want to stop here? I mean, in a nutshell, was the segment we used to do. But I'm just, okay. I, well, okay. How about you tell me what you feel about it? Yes. I it's chess. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, did it did it wow and all me? No, but I mean, it's okay. chess. It was a... I, I like the card play. That was one of the things. And I did like the tactical features of it. And I do think that there are the various terrains you can put on the board. And I think that changes things up a lot. And because, you know, the, the, the time we were playing, it was kind of a basic game. It was that beginner game. But right. if, you, if you put more terrain pieces on the board, design more of that, I think the game will begin to accelerate. I know you can play with four players, but I do think it would sh it would get kind of... Uh, elimination type stuff that you see in these types of games? It would need to be a team game uh, as opposed to a free-for-all because these free-for-all tend to be that way too. In fact, the guy I play with at work, we both agree. I feel this game is best one-on-one because -on -one it's a small board. We have played with the multiple terrains. Uh, we've played with the rocks. We've played with this altar to where if you're beside it, you can get focus. Focus is a resource in the game. Oh, that's nice. Uh, that can be used to... You can some cards require focus in order to be able to play the card. I will say that the combat resolution is very simple because like when you do an attack, it shows you exactly you're attacking the hex in front of you or the hex to the right. And uh, if the person doesn't have a didn't play a block card to block that attack, they just basically take a damage card and put it off to the side. Once they collect five of those, the game ends. But there's some other cards which are interesting too. One is stun. If you stun somebody, there's a card that goes into your hand that's dead. Uh, meaning you you only got a certain hand size, so there's this card you can do nothing with. At some point in time, you'd have to play it, which does nothing, but at least it gets it out of your hand. So there's these concepts, like bleeding and stuff that are in there too, that I think is really interesting from a miniature style game. Now, I will say this. The production is top notch. Mm -hmm. Super nice miniatures that people are going to want to paint. These terrain features are super nice. Like the there's a flaming carts and bamboo shoots and rocks that you could paint. So production-wise, uh, it is really good. And they're going to have expansions coming out. They have expansions of different characters coming out with more cards. So there's this whole idea of deck construction to where this could be, honestly, a competitive organized play type of game that you might see playing in local game stores. Absolutely. I can definitely see. I think that's where it, the game for those who enjoy these types of game. I mean, do I need another one? I think this one would be one that you would want to dwell 
into dwell I'm sorry dwell into because of the construction of the deck trying to find just like we used to talk about with our uh, living card not living card but our collectible games or even our living card netrunner that was some of the fun of that was putting together those decks to try to outsmart or act outthink your opponent and that's what you're going to get out of this so you know th did it grab me no not right off the bat but I think as they get built up on this it will do that because it does I felt it drug a little bit, but once again, as I get more powerful and I can understand the strategy behind it, I think that is something that will make this game shine. I mentioned the terrain. Um, I want to pull that back a little bit. Too much terrain is going to slog this down. Trying to dodge around the bamboo and stuff like that, that's not going to make it fun. Ah, uh, but you can cut down the bamboo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one of the thing, one things you could do is actually cut the bamboo, which opens up the uh, oh, cool. terrain. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of, I was wondering that I was wondering, you yep. know, you could do that. You just can't cut through the rock. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So I've probably played, man, probably eight to 10 times. I've probably played every character probably twice. This does have like a Warhammer Underworlds feel to me where you are doing this deck construction. The things that probably we kind of found too was sometimes because you're simultaneously playing cards, you both might play a block that does nothing. So it's like block, block. And it's like nothing happened that turn. So you almost waste a block card or I'm going to come in for an attack. And it's like, oh, they moved. It was a wasted attack. So the person I was playing with said he almost had a, had a robo rally feel to it. Meaning I'm planning to make these programmed moves where I'm going to do this and this. And then, oh, because of what you did, this doesn't even work at all. I just whiffed, you know, sort of just like, great. I just wasted my really good attack sort of deal too. But that's so that the beauty. can happen. Yeah, but that's yes. the beauty of the game. That's what you have to say is, okay, oh, and then uh, on my side, I'm going to say, oh, he just wasted his very good card. Time for me to go mm. in for the attack. Maybe you, you're fainting me. Maybe you're yeah. trying to draw me in. So that's, that's how these games work out. One last thing on the deck construction I also think is cool. There's always going to be two cards that's in your hand. One, your character card always has a card that you keep in your hand that doesn't count towards your hand size, and every character has a certain weapon that they can choose. So whatever weapon they pick, they get one of those core cards into their hand, and those are always there. So you always have something in your hand that you can always use at any time. One of the main things is being able to change your stances, which is really important. Every character may have a different path on how they change stances, uh, which is really cool. So the whole stance mechanic is cool. The deck construction is cool. Combat resolution is really straightforward. But I think this is definitely one of those things that's probably built for a competitive style play, especially with all the expansions they have coming out. So if this sounds interesting to you, look for Sinjutsu Battle for Japan from Lucky Duck Games that's coming out really soon. Five minute initiative is complete. MiniatureMarket.com where you can get some of the board games we've talked about here. Be sure to head over to our website so that you can click on that affiliate code by clicking on the link. Helps us out. Let's Miniature Market know that we're not talking to dead air. <laughs> <laughs> that people actually listen. So we appreciate you taking the time. Head over to our website, rollingdicetakingnames.com. Roll Dice Take Names. Why isn't it? Oh, I thought it was, okay, fine. Roll Dice Take Names. Still can't get it after 10 years. Mm -hmm. Click on the link, head over to Miniature Market, put a few things in there. Maybe you want to pick up uh, Inheritors. Maybe you want to do a spell book, put a little, get you some pre-orders in there. But if you're not subscribed to their newsletter, you really need to do that because they're going to be sending you stuff. They're going to be sending out some announcements here. We've got the holidays coming. 
matter of fact, they're doing some really interesting things over on to that social media stuff that I don't I really pay a lot of attention to. But Marty does. What are they doing over there? That's right. During the month of October, they're going to be having ghastly games every day, which are daily items. I'm not sure if they're Halloween themed or not, but it's going to be ghastly games. It's going to be having special deals on every day, which means you're going to want to go out to the site every day, which what we'd love for you to do is bookmark our special links so that when you go out to that special site every day, it generates a little click that they can look at. We would very much appreciate it, but you also want to keep an eye on Twitter and Facebook Uh, for some of these items and on their Instagram page they're going to have masked meeples their marketing person says that uh, all during the month of October they've taken little meeples and they masked them up in nice little Halloween type decorations and stuff so you want to follow them on all our social medias also and one of the biggest things that is huge for this time of year is the gift guide it's coming November 3rd gift guide is a big thing for everybody to be saying hey what kind of games do I want I check it out every year. So head over to miniaturemarket.com. Well, we have come to the end of another Rolling Dice and Taking Name show. Now, one of the things I'm going to have to try to teach Marty to do is all these games. Maybe we should just, you know, can some of them for when we don't have a lot of opportunity to get together and play. But no, no, the things we go through for y'all, it's, it's just <laughs> unreal. We, we get them played and we got to talk about them. We, we got to share this information. We could have, we could have held back on some of this, but no, you are welcome. And thank you for listening. <laughs> so, so, so like they should be thanking us for so playing these games. <laughs> oh, gosh. It, it, it is a chore of love <laughs> you know, that we, we, we do that. We get together at our new place to do business. By the way, my wife yes. mentioned to me the other day, she goes, we were talking about people were asking, well, what, so how was your board game night the other night? We had some friends over and we played a new game that they actually got shipped over. Um, they went to Taiwan and they had a container shipped over with some of the stuff they brought back because it was just the way it was. They couldn't get it all on the plane. And in there, there was this game, a uh, card game, and it was about making recipes, making okay. cooking dish. Yeah, it was all right. It was fine. And then I taught them Tiger and Dragon. And that will be for another uh, show. We will talk about that teach if I remember to put it in the show notes. Okay. But they were saying, how did it go? And I go, well, you know, we went to, and they said, so how, I mean, you know, where do y'all go? And I said, well, right now we're going to Qdoba's. It's a Mm -hmm. Mexican chain. And my wife goes, by the way, they go, you've shut down two restaurants playing games. Have you told (laughs) Qdoba this? And I go, no, and we're not going to mention it to them. Because we don't want to jinx our place to go play games. I will say it's, it's, a, it's a nice place. It's a high table under some really nice lights. And the table is very long. And so far, they haven't run us out. No. Oh, and we got free burritos the other night. Yeah, they, they were making a huge catering order. And they were just going through the process. And unfortunately, they overmade them. And they said, would y'all be... Would y'all like these? Because other than that, we're going to end up throwing them away. And we're like, well, yeah, thank you so much. And they also have Coke Zero, which, you know, McAllister's didn't have at one time. Um, but I, you gave me a homework assignment um, for, we, we talked about Capstone Games, but, you know, they have this line called the Phantom Card Sleeves, right? Yes, yes. So I re-sleeved all my Age of Wonders with what they're called their pink card sleeves. And you said, well, do me a favor. Tell me what you think about the shuffling of this. And I compared it. I had some other game sleeves, and then I put those in there. You were right. Top-notch 
mixing them for seven wonders. Amazing. If you still play seven wonders like I do, you might want to think about pulling those. Maybe you need new card sleeves. Uh, yeah, this, this sounds like an ad for capstone, but it's more of a, um, PSA player, uh, service announcement. Check these sleeves out. These phantom sleeves for seven wonders, a game that you're constantly mixing cards in and out. I've, it's, I love them. I was like, dang, you can tell the difference too. Cause when they're sitting side by side, the other card sleeves, it's like an additional, you know, two centimeters in height difference on the same as that high. They're that good. Yes. It was, oh. it was, it was, it's two centimeters. Yeah. Two centimeters, not two inches, two centimeters. Again, I'm surprised how frictionless these sleeves mm-hmm. are that they mash together so well when you mash shuffle. I, I'm stunned. It's like, it's like with ease, they, they slide right into each other. It's crazy. Yeah. So I just wanted to report back. You asked me to, but so check them out. Go over Capstone, these Phantom card sleeves, um, top-notch stuff there. Yep. So with that, I'm going to keep rolling dice and taking names. Everybody, thanks for listening. Don't forget to join our Discord channel and use our links for Miniature Market. You can find all this over on our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. You can also find all of our socials there. We're everywhere. We're posting everywhere. Like I said, come hang with us and chat on the Discord. And as always, thanks for listening. Pyramidio from... Pyramido? Pyramido? I like Pyra. Pyra. Well, I mean, it's a pyramid. It's a pyramid. Okay, fine. Fine. You won't give me Nick Pyramidio. But, but do you know why <laughs> well, it's Why Mid-io? are you saying it, it's not idio? It's just I-D-O. I-D-O. Mido? Pyramido. Pyramido? You know, we could waste well, the whole five minutes with me trying to pronounce this, <laughs> which <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, fine with. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. No, we can keep trying to get me to say it right. It's not going to happen. Because Mido or Mido. <sighs> What?